Welcome to the Virtual CFO Podcast, where you'll learn how to grow and innovate your business one step at a time from successful business owners. And here's your host, Brad Turville. Hey, it's Brad Turville here from BJT Financial. Welcome to the VCFO Podcast. This is part two of a multi-part series on how do I sell my business. So if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to it. Many businesses, they need to be cleaned up or revitalized to maximize you know, the ease and the return on investment when sold. And this takes time. Each business owner is unique. Business models vary, as do planned exits. So even if the thought of a business exit is way off in the future, the process of de-risking and revitalizing a business for sale will result in a much more valuable, profitable, and smoother running ship. Most people know, you know, say from selling a car, in many cases, the best it ever looked and performed was when someone handed over the cash and drove it out of your driveway. Ask yourself, what if you were approached tomorrow to sell your business? Would you get the maximum dollar and terms based on how it's running now? Most business owners cannot confidently answer yes. So let's look at some of the most common areas a business needs to tidy up. Dependent on the business owner. This is one of the most common issues with you know, not only growing and scaling your business, but also when looking at an exit Is the business dependent on you being there? A business that runs itself, you know, with marketing and sales and delivery systems and team members in place will be far more attractive to a buyer than a business that relies on one key person. Think of it from the buyer's perspective. They have two businesses to choose from. One runs itself and one revolves around a key person. Which one would you choose? So the first step is to put a plan in place to start removing yourself from the business. And that starts with identifying what exactly are you doing? What are all the tasks that you do personally? And how can these be delegated to other team members or potentially you may need to hire? Let's call it the task transfer. If you were, say, a leading world leading expert in back surgery on dash hounds, Okay, then think more strategically. What exactly are you selling? Is it your business or your world-leading intellectual capital that's sitting in your head? Next is standard operating procedures. Is your business documented on a task-by-task basis, compiling what are known as standard operating procedures or SOPs? This is a forced method of extracting your way of doing things onto paper or on the Google Docs, so it isn't lost through key people leaving and is a process to easily train new team members. Imagine a role, let's say, receptionist. There would be an SOP on how to book an appointment, how to answer the phone, how to do the mail, how to structure a letter, maybe how to do a stock take on office supplies. So when someone needs to fill in or a new team member comes on board, They're given access to the SOPs for this particular role and they can then refer to them. So this becomes powerful when you have a proprietary way of doing things. You might be very efficient or very fast or you might never make a mistake. 
That's important not only for every other team member to learn from and implement, but a buyer of your business could reap massive rewards from implementing your procedures you know, over, let's say, their much larger and clunky workforce. So there are a few ways to create SOPs. Firstly, if a task is completed more than once, create an SOP. I like to use Google Docs and I keep them brief, say 10 dot points. I then like to go a step further and and record my computer screen. So I'm giving them a live demo, they can hear me talk, they can see what I'm doing and why. Another example I use is recording client discovery sessions. So future team members can then learn how I've taken the written discovery session SAP and translated it into a meaningful session with a client. So I'm sure there are tasks that you do really well in your business, but it's no use having them in your head, so get them on paper. Okay, next are accounting and your legals. So most business owners cannot confidently say that they're on top of all things compliance, accounting, and legals in their business. But if you are, kudos to you. So proper legals, what does that include? Well, that would be shareholder agreements, employment contracts, supplier contracts, client engagements, lease agreements, financing agreements. So ensure you have them in place and up to date. If you're unsure, get on the phone to your lawyer. Now let's talk the fun stuff, accounting. So is all of your compliance up to date, including all things ATO and ASIC? Do you have your most recent and last three years worth of financial statements prepared by an accountant and possibly audited? So they're pretty run-of-the-mill things, okay? They should be a standard. You should have all of them. But what about these questions now to see if, you know, your finance department is up to scratch? So how does your revenue, gross profit, and net profit margin to look over the last three years? Are they nicely trending upwards? Do your clients pay their invoices within the stated terms? So if it's 30 days, do they pay within 30 days? Or do you say 30 days and they're paying in 90 days? Are you holding too much or obsolete stock? Okay, too much stock is tying up a lot of cash and obsolete stock, well, it's best to move it on. Do you have a budget and three-way rolling forecast? Do you understand what metrics drive growth in your business? And do you prepare monthly management reports? So if your accountant is not providing these services or this level of advice, you need to speak to a virtual CFO. Lastly, let's talk about reliance on key customers and suppliers. So when valuing a business, there's a framework that's commonly used and it's called the Porter's Five Forces. Okay, there's five components to it, but two of the components we'll talk about now will revolve around your customers and your suppliers. Okay, so there's this inherent risk around what the Porter's framework calls bargaining power of customers. Okay, so this basically means if you have a handful of customers that make up a large chunk of your revenue, then there's a risk that if they leave or they put the hard word on you, they have the power to really hurt your business or put a stranglehold on the way you work. Again, that's a massive risk. The same goes for suppliers. You know, do they have any power over you and how your business operates? Okay, again, think like a buyer. If there's this bargaining power of customers, 
your business is now a lot risky. What if I buy the business and these customers leave? It's just lost 30% revenue. Same goes with suppliers. We rely on these suppliers. If they move or change or something happens, that's now going to interrupt us. So what strategic measures can be put in place now to de-risk key customer and key supplier risk? Okay. Imagine your biggest client advised that they're going to be leaving you in six months' time. Okay. What would you start doing today? Or what if your key supplier said they could not longer, no longer supply a product or service in six months' time? You know, what alternative could you action to hedge your bets? So how does your business stack up and does it need a bit of work to de-risk? So we have an upcoming business exits online workshop uh, with a renowned private and family business lawyer uh, and a business exit specialist. So make sure you are on our events mailing list. You can access that by going to bjtfinancial.com. .au. Check out the show notes for this episode, How Do I Sell My Business De-Risking. My name is Brad Turville. Thanks for listening.